Our scripture passage for this evening is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, as we read verses 6 to 7. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, would you speak to us in our weaknesses and even in our fears tonight? For those who experience anxiety, would you give us what we need from your word, comfort, where comfort is needed, but also correction if we've gone astray? If some of us are sinning, In our anxiety, would you make that clear to us? And would you use your word tonight to bring us to repentance? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Ed Welch is a a Christian author and a biblical counselor, and he wrote a book called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. Uh, and it's a book I highly recommend, by the way. And, and in that book, he talks about how he once had a counseling patient who came into his office. And as he was speaking to this man, this man absolutely insisted that he was not an anxious person. He said, I am not an anxious person. And, uh, you know, Ed said, well, tell me why you're here. He goes, well, I, I'm not an anxious person except for... and. Uh, and he says, except for the fact that my palms get sweaty every time the plane is about to take off. Uh, I get nervous when my children are out of the house. And, and I notice every police and ambulance siren when my kids are not at home with me. And I always assume it has something to do with them. Uh, I occasionally, uh, occasionally obsess over the thought of my wife dying right in front of me. I worry about money constantly, and I wonder if I might die any day now. But he said, no, I am not an anxious person. (laughs) I am not a fearful person. And what Ed mentions is just how this man sort of coped with his fear, how he kind of coped with his anxiety, and he did it by, by minimizing them or by just denying them and saying, well, I just don't have them at all. But the thing that Ed says in his book is that this man was doing literally the opposite of what all of us should be doing when it comes to our anxiety. This man was trying to make his fears go away. He was trying to make his anxieties go away through brute force by simply willing them to go away, willing them not to exist, or denying that he was dealing with anxiety at all. And what Ed says is that the most important first step that we can take is instead of minimizing our fears, we should hunt for them. We should actually go searching for them, finding them, searching out the fears that torment us, the things that we are really afraid of. And this is what he says. He says, expose your fears to the light of day because the more you find, the more blessed you will be when you hear words of peace and comfort. And so tonight, we're going to look at the subject of anxiety. 
because our passage tonight, in our passage tonight, Peter does something interesting. He talks about the need for us to be humble people. That's what he, he left off with. If you remember, uh, three weeks ago when I preached before my vacation, uh, I, we, we focused on the fact that uh, as church members, church members are to be subject to the elders. And then in the midst of this conversation about being subject to the elders, he talked about humility. And then that led us directly into our passage tonight where he embraces this idea of humility and he makes this almost unexpected connection with anxiety because he immediately starts talking about fear. And so as I was studying this passage, the thing that was so eye-opening for me was this connection he drew between humility and fear, between humility and anxiety. And, I th- and, and, and as I searched And as I studied more, I I was just more and more impressed by what Peter does for us here. And so before I go any further, I have to give credit where credit's due. I I am very indebted to Ed Welch and David Pallison. They're two authors who write on the subject a lot on the subject of anxiety. And so if you find something helpful here tonight uh, and it wasn't a Bible verse, you should assume that it probably came from Ed Welch or David Pallison. I just want to give that sort of... uh, Uh, up front before I do much else, because I don't want to keep quoting them all the time. Uh, But what I want to do tonight is very simple. I just want to talk about anxiety, the way that Peter addresses it here, and also in a little bit of a broader sense. And then I want to look at the antidote, because Peter gives us an antidote for anxiety here in the passage. Uh, Because everything we need in order to do battle with the fears and worries that plague us are right here in this passage. So let's see if God doesn't have some help for us, some balm for us. And by the way, uh, it's just eye-opening to me. Uh, I've I've been open, I think, about my own struggles with anxiety. And it is remarkable. The more I open up about it, the more people tell me that they deal with it. And in fact, now, I think it's more normal to have anxiety than it is not to have anxiety. Uh, And so I, I think this will be very applicable to many of us. Uh, But first, let's talk about the nature of anxiety, because after all, Peter gets right into anxiety here. He tells us that we should cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. So it's it's funny. In a sense, that's his conclusion. In a sense, that's his application. Um, uh, But if I just tell you, cast your cares on him, that's the solution to to your anxiety. Um, My concern is you're going to think, well, that only kind of helps me. I need to know what that means. I need to know what it means to cast my anxieties on him. Now, some of your versions may actually say, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Uh, the ESV translates it as anxieties. It just refers to troubles, inner turmoil, fears, worries, any of the sort of things that can torment us. I think it would be better for us to do what Ed Welch says here and draw those worries out draw those anxieties out into the light to think a little more deeply about what they really are. Um, The problem is, if you're anything like me, you probably live in denial about your worries. You probably live in uh, denial about your fear. And, And then when they come out, they come out when you've had your last straw. They've come out when the stress just hits its peak and you can't handle it anymore. And you probably try to think, Things aren't as bad in here as you sometimes think, and you think maybe you're just overreacting. Well, when we talk about anxiety, there are basically two extremes Christians can take. On the one hand, um, Christians can so spiritualize anxiety 
that they can really be unsympathetic when someone says that they're really in deep pain or that they're experiencing worry that they feel like they can't control. Um, And we can forget there is a chemical element to it. There can be a chemical element to some forms of clinical anxiety and worry. But then the other extreme is to so physicalize worry and so physicalize anxiety that we talk about it as if there's no spiritual element, as if this is just a a matter of getting the medicine right, getting the inner inner balance of somebody's uh, bloodstream right. And, and, And I'm sympathetic with this approach because nobody wants to look at someone who's in deep pain and tell them that they're doing this to themselves. And not only that, but to tell them this is self-torture and that this self-torture is sin that they're doing to themselves. And, of course, it's never just one extreme or the other. And so it's complicated to talk about anxiety. It's really difficult. You know, more and more people than ever before experience some form of anxiety and more people than ever receive medication intended to combat their anxiety that they've been medically diagnosed for. And maybe even some of you have been. And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting medical treatment for that. But um, earlier this year, I saw the challenge of talking about anxiety. Um, what happened was I was teaching this class at Bellhaven. And at the end of the semester, the students are supposed to turn in to me a, uh, a reflection paper. And all they, did, all they did was they read John Stott's Basic Christianity, just a book about what Christianity teaches and the thing that really struck me was one of the students turned into me a paper. And as a rule, I tend not to appreciate people reading a book and then giving me a response to that book and telling me their life story. Um, so I'm not saying a student got an A on their paper, <laughs> but they started telling me their life story. And, and they basically told me that one of their problems with Christianity, she said, she said, I am skeptical of Christianity. And she said, part of the reason I'm skeptical of Christianity is, and I thought this was so strange. I'd never heard anybody argue against Christianity like this. But she said, the Bible says that it is a sin to be anxious. And she says, I have generalized anxiety disorder and I take medication for it. And she said, if the Bible says that what I have is a sin, then I have trouble believing the Bible. Because she, because she said, I have no control over this, so it, it can't be a sin. And so, interesting argument. Um, but what it did do was it made me realize this, this girl was living in sort of a downward spiral. She felt like she had no control over her fears, over her worries, over her anxiety. And she thought that the Bible was irrelevant in a sense to actually help her with this. And so whenever we talk about anxiety, we sort of run this risk of, of increasing people's sense of guilt and maybe making someone who is in deep pain and, and deep sorrow feel even more responsible for something that they really feel like, they're at, like is out of their control. Um, I don't think I would tackle this subject if I found no relief in preparing this message, though. And, and in fact, as I prepared this sermon, I was going through a season of generalized anxiety. Uh, I would describe it as just a low hum. It's like my anxiety just always runs at like 20%. It's kind of like background noise or white noise in my life. I just live with it so much, I don't even notice it hardly until it gets really bad. Um, And I found what Peter has to say here very helpful. And so so what I'm doing here this evening is I'm coming to you with something that has helped me. I'm not saying I uh, no longer experience any of these things. 
But I am saying that I have found a sermon to preach to my own heart when these things come up. So let's think about what anxiety really is, though. Um, At its core, anxiety communicates something very relatable. I think most of us know to one degree or another, and it's something like this. You want something and you might not get it. Um, Or you're afraid of something and you're afraid you might get it. You're afraid this thing that you're afraid of might actually come true, or you're afraid this thing that you're hoping for, you're afraid that it might not happen. And, And so think about the sort of things that we get anxious about. Maybe you want power, you want love. Uh, you want perfect children. And you're afraid you might not get those things. Um, you want financial security. You want health for yourself. You want health for those that you love. And, and you know those things aren't guaranteed. And how do those worries show up? So they show up like this. You fear for the safety of people you love. Uh, you can be anxious or afraid about how you're going to die someday. Uh, you might be afraid that you, you might be penniless one day. You might be afraid or, or fearful that you might end up alone or unloved. Uh, maybe you're afraid of, of being in love or being hurt by somebody else. Maybe that's happened to you before and you don't ever want it to happen again. Um, you think about things you might lose, uh, a relationship, your looks, your youth, your money, your job, your spouse, your health, your hobbies, or any other number of things. You're afraid you'll lose control of your life or you'll lose control of your world. You're afraid to get anything because you think, if I get it, I'm just going to lose it. And so the real core, if you could look at the common thread that runs through all of these worries, all of these anxieties, and I'm sure some of these you can at least relate to, the core of them is a fear of loss of control. All of this is really about control. James tells us in James 4.1, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You want something, but you don't get it. And so what James suggests there is he says our fear of loss can actually show up in in bursts of anger. Uh, James talks a lot about anger and about how anger comes out, especially in men, right? Men don't want to admit their fear, so they get angry. They blame their lack of control on others instead of just admitting that they can't control everything. Anxiety can show up in overprotection, right? We live in the age of the helicopter parent. More than ever, you know, anxiety becomes more and more normal and it becomes more and more normal for parents to hover over their children, to not let them leave the house, to sort of guard them more than children ever have been in human history. And Ed Welch says overprotection looks like love, but it's actually love mingled with fear. I don't know if you find that true in your own heart and in your own life, in your own attitude toward children. Overprotection looks like love, but it's actually love mingled with fear. But the more we think about the nature of fear, the more we think about the things that give us anxiety. I I hope a theme that starts to emerge is this theme of control, this theme of wanting to have, this theme of wanting to get your hands on every problem and wrestle it to the ground and control it. And the problem is we can't control most of the things that we worry about. Think of the things you worry about that you actually have real control over. We can't control the plane, whether it arrives safely or not. We can't control what happens to our kids every second that they're out of our sight. We can't control our spouse. Um, Try as we might, eat as well as we can, we can't control our health. We see some famous bicyclists get cancer and we think, well, if that guy spends his whole life taking care of himself, I really can't control my health. 
We can't control every factor that decides if we keep our job. We can't guarantee airtight protections of anything in our whole world. And so what do we perhaps do or what are we perhaps tempted to do? We, we internalize all those things we can't help and we can't control and we decide we won't yield. Instead, we'll double down and by sheer force of will, we will wind up experiencing these negative effects of anxiety. We'll start to, to feel it physically, chest pain, shakiness, cold sweats, trouble sleeping. And if this goes on for long enough, we might forget where the anxiety even came from. We might even forget what even started it to begin with. Um, I've known lots of people that suffer with anxiety and you could look into their past and you could find events that really set them on the path they were on. Difficult, painful life events that snowballed until they just felt like they were emotionally out of control. And if you asked a doctor or they did a blood test, they would say, ah, yes, we found these chemicals in their blood that cause this anxiety that needs to be treated. But many times there are spiritual and emotional triggers that we just never get to the bottom of. We never ask ourselves what caused them to begin with. And it's because we haven't faced them and we don't want to face them. So we have to be careful to assume that it is only spiritual or that it's only physical. It's often a mixture of both. But I think in most cases, if we could trace it back to a common source, the answer would be control. We want control. We don't want to hurt. We want what we want. We want or maybe we would say we need things to work out our way. And the only way to guarantee that is to try to control it all. And when we can't, the only answer we'll ever really believe in is to try to control all of it anyway. And we try to internalize it. And so that results in anxiety. Wanting to control our little world and we can't, it moves into our soul and it eats us up. Now, I promise we're getting to the text. (laughs) But the second thing that Peter does here is he sets before us the antidote to anxiety. But before we get too specific, one of the things that Ed Welch actually says is he says, imagine a world where you don't have anxiety. Imagine what your life would be like if you didn't deal with that. He says, imagine it. You get on the plane and you aren't terrified. You're not afraid that it's going to crash. You sit in your seat and you relax. Maybe you read a book. Um, Your kids are out late and you are able to relax and you're not constantly listening for ambulance sirens. Um, Maybe your kids are at the daycare and you're not constantly wondering how they're doing. Um, Maybe you have a meal and you feel a brief warm feeling in your chest and you don't freak out. You don't immediately uh, go on to Google and search for chest pain and see what comes up. Um, And even if it is, you know you're going to be okay. Even if it is your worst fear, you know that God's in control. Um, You see the news. And the news says that the economy is going in a bad direction. Predictions point to the worst, but you're focused on more important things. Uh, Maybe you see that somebody you think is going to destroy the country just got elected to public office. But rather than freaking out and having a meltdown... You think about the things that are in your world that you have a responsibility for and you focus on those things instead. Wouldn't you like that? Would you like that for yourself? The question is, how can we have that, right? Can, can we have that? If, if we have anxiety, are we just supposed to live with it forever? Is this the way life is supposed to be? Well, maybe you think, well, preacher, what, you're, what are you going to do? 
going to this passage for something like this? Why are you talking about all this emotional stuff, all this psychology-sounding stuff? Don't you know this is the age of anxiety? Anxiety was born in the 2000s. Uh, anxiety is something we deal with every day. It's unique to our age. You're just reading all this anxiety stuff back onto Peter. You know very well Peter never dealt with this stuff that we have, this kind of worry. Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case at all. I do not think that anxiety is something that was invented in the 21st century. Why would Jesus talk so much about worry and anxiety if nobody in the ancient world ever dealt with it? I think it would be a big mistake for us to think that Peter had no idea what it feels like to feel like us. I mean, I mean, life has always been difficult. Life has always been dangerous. Think about what the ancient world was like. It was a terrible time. It was a terrible place to live. It was absolutely dangerous. Low life expectancy, low birth rates, disease, travel was dangerous. If you took a five-mile journey, you would probably get robbed on the road. Uh, life was so hard in the ancient world, and anxiety happened then too, just like it happens for us. And so Peter's antidote to worry isn't to stop thinking about our problems. His antidote is we should be honest about what weighs on us. And then we should trust God with those burdens. But here's the thing. We can't cast our cares on him. We can't cast our anxieties on him, like Peter says that we should do in this passage, if we don't know what they are. I'm not asking if there is a 100% cure for anxiety. I'm not asking... If you've entered perfection and are no longer hurt or experience worries or trouble, what I really want you to think about is this question. What is the message that you preach to yourself when your anxious thoughts threaten to roll over you like ocean waves? What is that message? What do you say to yourself? What do you decide to do? Maybe you decide not to think at all. And you say, I'm just not going to think about this in the least bit. I'm going to wait for this to pass. And so you spend your evening sitting there like a pop bottle that feels like it's going to burst. Well, I think Peter has a better way. Peter has that message here. He gives you a way to orient yourself when it comes to your anxious thoughts. And his answer in the text tonight is, trust God and let God be God. That's really what he, he has to say to us. So, so if you've been listening this whole time and you're hoping that you get to see the antidote, This is it. Face your worries, look them head on, face them, and face your desire to control your world. But then do what Peter says here. Look closely at the text. This is where we actually get into the text. (laughs) He says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How do we do that? How do we cast, how do we cast our anxieties on him? Well, of course, the first thing is we need to know what those anxieties are. We have to face them. We have to deal with them. We have to recognize that they're real. And then the answer is humble trust. See, look in the text. In the text here, there's this immediate connection between the humility it takes to trust God and the release of our anxieties. If you can't, if you you don't experience humility, you're not going to experience freedom from anxiety. 
If you're a proud person, if you control your world, if you control everything around you, you are going to find that anxiety continues. Humble yourselves, he says. Do you want to be free of anxiety? Humble yourself. Do you want to live without fear? Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He actually gives a clause that explains why you can do it. And the answer is God cares for you. And because he cares for you, you can do this. Not because you're great, but because he loves you and because he's so powerful. So, so what happens is when we cast our cares on God, it is an expression of humility. It's something that we cannot do unless we have let go of our little world and said, God, you be the God of my world. You be the one who's in control of my world now. What he's really talking about here is praying. He's talking about casting our cares on him. Because we know he cares. We know that he can carry us. We know that he has the power to do what he knows is always right. Always. But think about what it takes to trust God. It takes the humility that allows us to say, I won't control this thing. God, you can have it. And I know, I know you'll do what's right. Can you pray that to God honestly? Can you really give that thing to him that weighs on you? That every night when the kids go to bed and you're sitting there by yourself and things are quiet, that thing that comes on you and haunts you, that thing that is a burden to you. Because humility means handing our problems over to God. And if we don't do that, we will experience the full force of anxiety in our lives and there will be no other escape from anxiety. I do not know how a secular person who lives in a godless universe copes with anxiety and fear. They have no one to trust their world to. All they have is themselves, and they have to hold on to it as tight as they possibly can. But true humility, the the biblical kind of humility Peter is talking about, has a way of stealing away our anxiety. You see, when we humble ourselves under his hands, when we trust him, we can cast our anxieties on him. And when we find ourselves unable to do that, what we need to do is be willing to look at the root and say, it is pride that's keeping me from letting go of this thing. Do you believe that he cares for you? Do you believe what Peter says? Do you believe that he's good and that he's sovereign and that he can be trusted? Do you believe he can be trusted? As a Christian, he has set his love on you. And Peter says, He does care for you. Peter says that word. He cares for you. All the while you're running around worrying about this thing, being burdened, weighed down by this thing, all the while thinking, I have to control my little world. And God is standing there and he's saying to you in his word, I care for you. I care for that aspect of your life. I care about that thing that you're worried about. Don't you know I'm handling this in my way right now, in my wisdom and in my goodness. Won't you hand it to me? Won't you give it to me? And that means that we can take what we know is true about God and we can answer the lies that fear tells us. And I'm using fear and anxiety interchangeably. Because listen to this. Fear says this. I'm in danger. What does humble trust say? Humble trust says nothing that happens to me, nothing can happen to me except that my father in heaven who loves me allows it to come my way. That's what humble trust says. 
Uh, uh, fear says, I'm vulnerable. Something's going to happen to me. And humble trust says, I have always been vulnerable my entire life. And God has always done what's right for me. Fear says, I might not get what I need. I might not get what I want. But humble trust answers that fear by saying, you can only do so much. You can't control the rest, but your God can. And Jesus tells us that our Father knows exactly what we need all the time. Fear tells us this thing is valuable to me. I need this thing or I won't be happy. And humble trust says, if my Father who cares for me wants me to have it, I will have it. But if he doesn't give it to me, I'll know it's because he is doing what's best for me. Maybe you've had this fear. I could die. Fear tells us I could die. What does humble trust say? Humble trust says, I will die. I will die exactly when my father knows is right for me. And until that very minute and that very hour that he has planned, I can trust him to keep carrying me. So do you see this? The answer to fear isn't to pretend the fear isn't there. If we have a thought that gives us fear, if we have a thought that gives us anxiety, we need to answer it. We need to face it. And we need to face it with humble trust. Pretending your gas gauge is not on empty doesn't get you to your destination. (laughs) Uh, Pretending you don't have a problem doesn't solve the problem. And the answer isn't to push the anxiety down. It isn't to focus on something else. It's to face it and speak to it in a sense. Let God speak to it. Our fears are so much more related to God than we realize. We think it's all about us and our world situation and our life situation and our finances and our health or our money or whatever. But we forget that this is really all about God. We convince ourselves that the problem is about the problem. But Peter says, trust him. Trust his mighty hand. Stop trying to to control. Humble yourself. Let him be your God. And stop trying to to be your own God. Stop trying to be your own creator and maker and guide. This is so much more about God than you realize. I'm going to close just by reading scripture. By reading promises. Because if, if you've been overcome by fear, if you have been burdened by worries all your own, my suspicion is not that you don't intellectually know that God is there. I believe that you intellectually could say it. But I do suspect you need what we all need so often, which is we need a reminder that our God is a God of peace for us. We need a reminder that he cares for us. We need promises that he is in the business of bringing peace to our lives, even when our lives often feel less than peaceful. So God gives us, in his word, he gives us the message that we need to preach to our own hearts. The message we need to preach to our own worries and anxieties when they happen. So I just want to close with this selection of promises and encouragement from God himself. This is what he wants you to tell yourself when anxiety comes at you with full force. Listen to this. Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of peace, I'm sorry, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Isn't that good? And he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 33. The God of peace be with you all. 1 Corinthians 1, 3. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Luke 24, 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. He wants them to have peace. He doesn't want them to be afraid. He doesn't want them to be worried. He doesn't want them to be anxious. He says, peace. It's the first thing he says to them. They're terrified. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The last one, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, would you be a God of comfort to your people tonight? Especially for those who are tempted to be anxious. Would you bring peace where there is worry? Would you bring trust where there is self-reliance? Would you bring humility where there is a need to control? Would you be our rest when our hearts really do desire to dominate and rule where you have told us you are God and we are your people? Would you help us to remember what Peter says You care for us. We ask it in Jesus' name.